This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Hey, John, give us that lick. Welcome to Dexplanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I look some stuff up on Wikipedia, watch some Vsauce and SciShow about it, and I'm going to explain it to my friend David Drondell. David, hey friend. Hey. What's good? Vsauce. Michael. Yeah, anything. Vsauce Michael here. Yeah. And as always, <laughs> thanks for watching. Um, also, SciShow is good too. It sure is. Uh, I love Hank Green. Mm-hmm. He put on the uh, PodCon we went to last mm-hmm. year. Well, earlier this year. And apparently he has a post about why PodCon isn't going to be happening again this year. Mm. It's probably about money. I haven't read it yet, but I was disappointed that PodCon isn't going to be happening Yeah, because I was hoping it would be one of those things that just got bigger every year because this is only right? the second time yeah. it happened. And it was pretty decent. They had a lot of keynote speeches and stuff. Yeah, like fucking 99% Visible. Like yeah. Roman Mars, Roman was, Mars there. was there. Uh, hello from Magic Tavern was there. Those guys were there. We met Adel Rafai. We talked about that, but that I have was his, still really cool. I have his card. Yep. And yeah, we could have called him and probably hung out with him. Yeah, he but mentioned like, that they were hanging out that night, but he didn't. Men- we didn't beer. ask where because we were kind of a little bit starstruck, I think. Yeah. I was like, n- no, for me, it was like, eh, he doesn't mean that. And I usually try to play it You cool know what? I think if you push it, though, if you push it, like what? Is he going to be so rude that he's just like, nah, I was just being polite. Like, what if we were those people who just like invited ourselves to something and then we ended up being good company? Or even if we didn't, they were just like, fuck are these guys? That'd still be a good story. Yeah, that's true. And they'd know who we, they would remember us even if they weren't good memories. Make Um, an impression. Anyway, sorry. What are we going to learn about? We're going to be talking about periodolia. Oh fuck yeah! Okay, um, I I'm pretty sure I say this wrong, but it's just so much easier and natural for me to say it wrong. Okay, so what do you what do you think it is probably? Periidolia. Peri i. Yeah, instead of periidolia. Well, let's try. We'll try. All right, so periidolia is a type of apophenia. Uh, so sorry, Dex. I, I just noticed. My neighbors have started fucking kind of loudly, uh, but we need to get this recorded tonight. I agree. So let's just yeah. like push on through and. Yeah, Sorry I hope, if you can I hear that you in the background. John can kind of probably work a little bit of magic to yeah. make it not as noticeable. But if you can, we're... We apologize for <laughs> that content. That. But like, uh, <laughs> we do have to just keep recording. Yeah. All right. So, pareidolia is a type of apophenia. And it's the tendency to mistakenly perceive connections and meaning between unrelated things. Okay. So, it was termed by... Physicist Klaus Conrad in 1958 in his publication about the early stages of delusional thought. Like oh, some, okay. some so other like people who are having like people who have disorders or yeah, like they used to think pareidolia was a disorder. Oh, much. okay. So this is 1958. So yeah, their their term their understanding of disorder may have been different. Yeah, um, he described it as an overinterpretation of actual sensory perceptions. <laughs> I think I just said that. But another type of apophenia is the gambler's fallacy. Okay. 
Because that's just like making connections where there are none. You're like, I've lost this many times. I've got to win next time. Or oh, sure. like I've won like enough. St- I've won so many times in a row. I've got to hit it again. Gotcha. Okay. So like feeling like you're on a streak, believing that a streak works or like um, that a machine is bound to pay out because it's lost so many times. Exactly. Like a slot machine. Whereas the odds are same every time odds you are do the same. it. Yeah. Um, like the clustering illusion is another example of apophenia and, uh, the, Wik- <laughs> the Wikipedia has a quote about it in 1985, a study of the hot hand fallacy by Thomas Gilgovich, Robert Vallon and Amos Tversky found the idea of basketball players possessing a quote unquote hot hand or tending to shoot better in streaks was false. Oh, Even right. Sure. Sure. It's true. There Analysis provided, quote, no evidence for positive correlation between the outcomes of successive shots. Yeah, I think they may have touched on that in um, the Freakonomics book. But yeah, like yeah. Hot, hot hand doesn't exist. Like the, yep. it, it's not. I think thing. you're right. I think I remember hearing about that in the Freakonomics podcast. OK, yeah. Um, great podcast, by the way. It is great. Actually, it, I will say it used to be better when the other um, Stephen was involved the economist steven okay now it's just steven dubner the writer oh i see and i think it was better when the economist steven was involved that makes sense because that's um, kind of what economics but it's about. still a good show but like the earlier seasons were w- well better yeah i haven't in listened my opinion. to it in a while actually to be honest. um yes. so for per- periodolia Vsauce's spooky coincidences episode was super helpful in researching this episode okay yeah that makes sense yeah coincidences are can seem spooky sometimes when yeah. like you're like no that couldn't be chance couldn't be. it could be especially it with a lot be, of large it, numbers yeah exactly like, where there's so many goddamn people on the world in the world but, yeah like he you should watch that episode it's really good oh i have yeah yeah oh and the viewers should sorry <laughs> yeah yeah the viewers uh, should watch that episode so in the um, listeners Michael talks about how Apple had to change the shuffle features on the iTunes because it was getting so many complaints from users. Yeah, that it wasn't random. Yeah, people were hearing similar songs or songs from the same artist more frequently than what they thought should be in random. But, of course, it was actually random. It was actually... The original the shuffle feature that. was random. And you would expect that. Yeah, like, if, you, for, if you randomly flip a coin a hundred times... You're going to expect some streaks. Yeah. There's going to be a couple, you know, there's going to be some times where you flip tails like four or five times in a row. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they had to introduce the, what they called the smart shuffle. Yep. And Steve Jobs said, we're making it less random to feel more random. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how perception works. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Just finding clues it's funny and it's, like, yeah and, and it's like we can't we can't intuit um uh how things are st- how statistical likelihood works you know what i mean like as soon as uh, like we hear a song from the same artist we're like well that can't possibly be random yeah exactly well, i mean it, it can, can very possibly be random uh, that's how randomness works is you're yeah. just as likely to get the very next song in, in their, yeah, in uh, their like album from the same, from the same artist as you are any other, well, you know, especially most specific people listen song. to largely 
like similar artists or a lot of the library from a single artist. And so if your if your library is full of like more of one type of music or more of a single artist stuff, you're just gonna get it. Yeah, exactly. It makes it like, a, a larger percentage of your library. Yeah. Uh, let's let's get back to Perry Dolly. Sure. <laughs> All yeah. right. Uh, that was a planned intermission, though. <laughs> I wasn't. Sometimes I say that to get chastise you, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the word peridoli comes from the Greek words um, that I'm going to slaughter. Okay. <clears throat> so para, I think I got that one, actually means beside, alongside, or instead of. Okay. So that's where we get words like paramilitary and mm. um, others. Paradentist. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the noun iedalon. Which means image, form, or shape. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I- image, form, or shape. It just got kind of loud Again. there for a moment. Um, <laughs> so, SciShow actually <laughs> has a more narrowed description, which I think is kind of helpful okay. of pareidolia. They say the tendency humans have to perceive familiar images, especially faces where none exist. Right. Yeah. And that. Yeah. So, yeah, it happens all the time to pretty much everybody. But unlike a hallucination with with pareidolia, we perceive something in something else, like seeing the Virgin Mary in a grilled cheese. Right. It's more of a delusion than a hallucination, the way I understand it to work. Yeah, or like partially, or it's just like kind of just how the brain works. Right. So like, but sometimes, but it is a delusion. Sometimes people, will, for instance, not. claim that they get auditory hallucinations from marijuana. Those yeah. are auditory delusions. Usually, oh, they come yeah. from hearing white noise, some sort of background noise, yep. and it's a delusion because there's already stimulus stimulus that you're misconstruing rather than creating a stimulus essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I looked at I looked it up and that grilled cheese with the Virgin Mary on uh-huh. sold on eBay for twenty eight fucking grand. Wow, I wonder what they did to preserve it. Like, how do you right? keep it? That's a you just like it's a fucking lacquer it. That's the best <laughs> grilled cheese ever made. Um, but yeah, so. I've seen I've seen like uh, ways that you can just grill different shapes onto your grilled cheese these days. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Like it's like presses. toasters and presses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just like heat it up on the burner and then. Yep. Sh- yeah, that's a that's a fucking good press to have. Yeah, the Virgin Mary press. Oh yeah, that's gonna make you bank. Oh <laughs> uh, shit, we should have copyrighted that. <laughs> um, scientists they know about pareidolia for centuries. Leonardo da Vinci actually wrote it about <laughs> about how you can use it as a device in paintings. He wrote. If you look at any walls spotted with various stains or with a mixture of different kinds of stones, if you're about to invent some scene, you will be able to see it in a resemblance to various different landscapes adorned with mountains, rivers, rocks, trees, plains, wide valleys, and various groups of hills. You will also be able to see divers, combatants, and figures in quick movement, and strange expressions of faces and outlandish costumes, and an infinite number of things which you can then reduce into separate and well-conceived forms. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad that you I I do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Especially the shower or anytime like I see rock. weird textures, sheetrock, I love wood flooring 
because yeah. you can just like look at it and find all sorts of different inspirational like shapes in it that you never would have come up with like independently. Exactly. But you're you, just kinda, they're like, kind of original because like it's your imagination layered on nothing. Yeah. Like just a random assortment of of information. Absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. That's cool because and I, I love cool to do that, that like, all the time. Leonardo da Vinci was writing about using that for inspiration for Over shit. 600 years ago. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Next, we're going to talk about Rorschach tests. Okay. So a Rorschach test attempts to use pareidolia to glean information from patients. It's named after its creator, Swiss psychologist Hermann Rorschach, who came up with it in 1921. Okay. Those are still popular in media, but I wonder if they actually get used anymore. It seems yeah, kind of kitschy. We're going to talk more about that. Okay. But he was a dapper mother looking motherfucker. Was he? Like, shit. Yeah. The pictures I've seen of him, he was a good looking man. Okay. Yeah. Um, Wikipedia has a quote about the test. The Rorschach test is a psychological test in which subjects' perceptions of ink blots are recorded and then analyzed using psychological interpretations, complex algorithms, or both. So, yeah, it's like you were talking about. It's super subjective. Yeah, it seems like it's, dream interpretation almost, exactly. to be honest. Like, it seems as scientific. And it's not really used by psychologists today. Yeah, it, was it used seems in the ridiculous. 60s quite a lot. Okay. But... Um, I think at this point it's like a, it's like a joke. Like yeah. it's how and, psychology is represented as kind of like a hoax in media. Yep. Like and, the, the downside of Rorschach it. Rorschach himself, Rorschach himself never intended the ink blots to be used as a general personality test. He developed them as a tool for the diagnosis of schizophrenia, which is still oh. probably a little bit off, but not but as far off. They were working with a lot like, less back then, and he yeah. was probably like. I, I just feel a lot better about that test being used as a specific diagnosis for something than this like broad One personality thing, test, yeah. which is like just be a, just like, whatever you say tests tells you about personality tests in general are bullshit. Yeah. Not a single one. What's the one that's used by all the companies? What is that one? Oh, <sighs> we're going to talk about it in an episode. Um, Briggs Meyer. Yeah. It's Myers bullshit. Myers Briggs. Thank you. It's yeah. bullshit. It's we're, been scientifically shown to be absolute bullshit nonsense. We'll hold on to that because that will be an episode. Okay. Because there's a lot of science behind why it's bullshit and everything. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, like Rorschach, he like didn't really think of it as a general personality test. He actually died right after writing the book that the test was based on. Oh. And so it wasn't published until after his death. So he... Uh, wrote it in in 1921 and then it wasn't until the 1939 that the test was used as a projective test of personality and like we were saying he was actually skeptical of that in the first place but like when you do see a Rorschach test when you do look at like those 10 ink blots because it's made of 10 ink blots when you look at them you can kind of like see phases in them or whatever you want. Oh, sure, of course. That's that's a good example of peri- periodolia. Yeah, yeah. It's Just not like a good diagnostic or... diagnostic thing. Like you can't really get like good diagnoses from it. Right. Or but it is still anything, you can still probably. like look at them and, you know, just let your mind wander. Yeah. See what you want. Um so we talked about how pareidolia has been a phenomenon for a long, long time, but only recently we started to understand the neurology behind it. Okay. 
Yeah. So a 2009 study showed that objects perceived as faces evoke an early activation of the fusiform face area of the brain at a time and location similar to that evoked by faces. Yeah, sure. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. The brain is recognizing a face, and so the facial facial recognition neurons are active. Yeah. And other common objects don't provoke such activation. Again, also makes sense. sense. Yeah. The really cool thing is that the objects that kind of look like faces showed a slightly faster activation in the fusiform face area than images of actual faces. Oh. And the author suggested that face perception evoked by face-like objects is a relatively early process and not a late cognitive reinterpretation program phenomenon. So, like, it happens, like, a slightly quicker... Like, your fusiform face area starts being activated by periodilic objects faster than looking at an actual face. Because the um, that part of the brain happens after you've recognized that a thing is a face and are trying to discern what it is. Oh, who it okay. Is, yeah, it, it, kind it, of, yeah. it kind of makes sense to me, too, because, like... If you, it's almost like um, it's kind of like too like how you do a, a double take when like sometimes you're like, uh, oh a log. Wait, it's an alligator. Oh no, it's a log. It's a log. It's <laughs> yeah. a log. Um, it's kind of like the idea of like if something's less recognizable, it's actually more important to identify it faster. If something is is more comfortable and recognizable, it's not as urgent to identify exactly what it exactly. is. Exactly. We're getting into uh, based on what you just said. We're getting into the explanation for the cause of it, of pareidolia. Okay. Um, and I think Michael from Vsauce described it real well when he was talking about it being an evolutionary, like advantageous characteristic. He said, our brains are good at this probably because being hyperattentive to patterns and faces can save our life. If there's ambiguity as to whether that thing hiding in the shadows is a threat or just a shadow, it's advantageous to err on the side of threat. Oh, right. Yeah. That like was it's my attempt at Michael's voice. Michael's cadence. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like it's just it's evolutionarily, it's better to be a little bit skish skittish if you're not top dog on the food chain. Yeah. And most Actually, of our evolution, yeah. we were not. There were giant birds to worry about, especially if you're a kid, or just like mm-hmm. you have to remember a lot of our ancestors were quite a bit smaller than we are. Yeah. And so even an adult may have only been like also the technology. Four or five. Like a lot of the reason we're top dog right now or the is technology. Is oh, technology. of course. Yeah. Fire and all sorts of great stuff. Yeah. But like not modern homo sapiens, but humans. Sorry, humans have been around a lot longer than fire. Yep. And so, like, if we're, if we tend to err on the side of a threat and see the faces where they aren't, we're more likely to get our genes passed on. Oh, yeah. Like, what, what's the downside if you're like, oh, shit, there's, a, there's something over there. Guys, run to the tree. And, and there's there nothing there. Like, yeah. oh, okay, you look a little bit foolish. Big deal. <laughs> yeah. You didn't die. You, didn't you still die. have plenty of chances to reproduce. Yep. Uh, if you were just like, ah, that was just a shadow, and it turns out to be a lion, well, you're fucked. And not in the good way either. You're not going to reproduce after that. Yeah. So let's talk about another study. In 2014, a team of Canadian and Chinese researchers set out to test two types of pareidolia. 
one where people see faces and objects and another where people see f uh, words and letters. So what they did is they hooked up people to some sort of brain scan. Like, I don't know what type they did, if they did MRI or whatever. But while they were hooked up, they were shown images that appeared to be visual static. Like, just a mix of colored dots. Okay. And then they told the subjects that half of the pictures contained either faces or letters. But in reality, none of the pictures contained either. Okay. They're just straight up static. Random noise. Yeah. Random uh, sensory input. Yep. But nonetheless, almost a third of the subjects reported seeing familiar objects in static. Like 34% said they saw faces, and 38% said they saw letters. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So more more recognized letters, letters. like artificial symbols weird. than faces. Mm -hmm. Well, what in it does just random static. In the random static. What it does show you is that language is a deeply ingrained part of our neurology, not just our culture. Yeah. Like language is built into us on a fundamental cellular level. Mm -hmm. And for the people who reported seeing faces, there is a spike of activity in that fusiform face area. Sure, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they, I mean, I'm I'm willing to say at this point that if there wasn't, they wouldn't have seen a face. No, exactly right. Um, that helps to explain though why people identify a few circles in a line as a face without hesitation. Right. Oh yeah, exactly. Like the smiley face. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's just a circle. Yeah, it's just like a semicircle, mm -hmm. and two then lots like in a line. Yeah. Well, and depending and you can do on it with how just you... like two lines and a and a, another horizontal line beneath the vertical ones. Well, and just depending on how you draw That's the lines, face. you can see different emotions in that. Sure. Fucking, exactly. Like simplistic thing, you can just see the emotions in it. Um. So I have a quote from Wikipedia. Cognitive processes are activated by the face-like object, which alert the observer to both the emotional state and identify the subject, even before the conscious mind begins to process or even receives the information. This is also how, like, stylized, like, really stylized animations can still evoke the same emotions, um, even if they look nothing like... Mm. They're not even remotely photorealistic they can evoke like a lot of the same emotions. Like you can cry yeah. looking at something that's so stylized. It barely resembles a human face, but like it's emotions still evoke the same emotion as a human face would in you. Yep. Cause it's, it's good enough. Yeah, exactly. It's good enough. It's good enough. And, and I, also I think it sometimes says a lot about our ability to empathize. Mm -hmm. Actually. Yeah. Okay. The last Prairie Dilly study. Okay. Um, Came out in Finland in 2012. I think it was pretty cool. That's pretty recent, yeah. Yeah. And it turns out to be more common in religious people or people who believe in some sort of paranormal. Interesting. So 47 people were shown buttloads of images of regular objects. and But some of them had actually been altered so that they did have faint face-like features that's okay. kind of a tongue twister faint face-like features <laughs> faint face-like features faint face-like features faint face-like features <laughs> um but then after that part of the study they were asked about their personal beliefs like whether they believed in ghosts whether they were religious or skeptics and atheists okay and they showed that the people who believed in the supernatural were actually better at finding the altered faces in the pictures. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Not only, like, 
they reported, were also, but like better at finding them. Yeah, they were also more likely to see the faces that weren't there, see faces that weren't there. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. So this they is were start- both better at finding the faces that were there and reported on seeing faces that weren't there. Okay, so there are two ways to interpret this. And, but, and they even assigned certain emotions to the faces that they saw. Oh. Okay, but go on. Two okay, ways to sorry. interpret There it. are two interpretations that I see right off the bat. One, that your psychology and your worldview affects your neurology on some level, mm-hmm. which is totally plausible. That happens, Everything of course. Everything affects your neurology. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and secondly that maybe it's the other way around. Maybe some of your baseline neurology affects exactly. your ultimate worldview and how you interpret events and stimulus around you. Determines how what you believe. What you or believe what in the end, yeah, to a degree. To a degree. Like which hand washes the other hand. Exactly. That's what I'm wondering, and I kind of think it probably goes both ways in a feedback yeah. loop. Yeah. But like the the fact that like it is more common pareidolia in religious people, is probably why there are so many pareidolic images that are religious in nature. Oh sure, yes. Like seeing and I think Jesus they, in your cornflakes. And I feel like they or like they that twenty eight thousand dollar grilled cheese. Yeah, with the Virgin Mary on it. I feel like they especially show up in the more. Um. Idolistic or idolatrous. Um, branches of uh, or sects of religion yeah. like Catholicism tends to be more idolatrous than a lot of the Protestant faiths okay um, and so does Orthodox meaning like have a lot to of have idols. like physical symbols yes physical exactly physical representations of faith and um, yeah. first aspects of faith that makes things sense. like you know you know a lot of like, Catholics wear different uh, saints yeah, I never patron heard, saints never and, heard of a Mormon Looking out and saying Jesus in a cornflake or anything, right? Like exactly. That. I don't think the Mormons are real, like. Yeah, like they don't they don't use like crosses or anything. Like in that. general, the used to be the Mormon newer a sect things. is, and this is just from a. Utah. What's that? I uh, just talking to a listener. He's, I used to be Mormon. I'm from Utah. Oh yeah, he knows. <laughs> he 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 has the inside view of that stuff. I'm an Episcopalian, and and kind of like what they are is basically Catholics with a little bit less of the idolatry. Okay. Um. So they took away some of the sacraments, but in a lot of ways, they're ba- basically just Catholics with no pope. Oh, really? They have the Archbishop of Canterbury. Oh, that's such a good title. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I feel like in general, the the newer, especially in Christianity, the newer a sect is, um, or a denomination, the less likely it is to be idolatrous or the less idolatrous it is okay catholicism and orthodox eastern orthodox seem to be the most idolatrous um i don't know if you want to answer this on air but would you consider yourself still episcopalian hmm i'm baptized and so i can take communion and i have thought about going back to church not because i'm a particularly faithful person but because i do enjoy the community okay like there is a closeness that you don't there's no such, like, as far as I know, there's no such thing as atheist church. And so there's not, like, a place for me to go to help build community and connections. And, like, you know, eventually when I start a family and stuff like that, I want those kinds of things. Those help. Those yeah. really help with a lot of things. Yeah. Just having some place to go, your kid to go to. Yeah. Like, and, like, other nice people who have kids and, like, those types of connections and community, those are 
kind of really important when you're building a family. I mean, yeah. not necessarily, but they can be. They yeah. can be helpful. Um. So yeah, that's pretty much all I got on periodolia. 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 <laughs> Told you I want to get it right. Periodolia. <laughs> Anything I else? don't think I tried to say the word once during the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else you want to talk about it? Um, no, it's pretty fun. Like it, like I like that Da Vinci quote. It's, oh, that uh, Da Vinci quote was good. It's actually fun to just explore it. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. love popcorn ceilings and uh, yeah, just, just like different textures, the patterns and stuff. It's yeah, like, making up patterns making up. and then yeah, I don't know. Like I kind of let your mind wander. Exactly. That's how I, I, I like to go to sleep, actually. I think I've told you this. Like, I like to, instead of just, like, counting sheep or doing something mundane, I like to go the opposite way and think of, like, the craziest ever-changing scenario I can. Like, I'm an eagle that jumps into the water, and then I'm, like, a dolphin that jumps out of the water, and then I'm, like, on the land, and I'm running through a little maze, and then I turn into an ant, and I'm, like, going into a hole. Or like, you know, just like basically no, as sense. crazy as I can. I kind of just try to exhaust my mind. But usually I can go to sleep like really fast. I s- sometimes say I'm partial leptic. <laughs> <laughs> I spend a good deal of my free time and even sometimes when I'm at work and I'm not doing something that's too like uh, attention uh, consuming. I spend a lot of my free time just like world building for sci-fi uh, like yeah. I, I listen to sci-fi constantly i want to be a sci-fi author someday and so like when i go to bed at night that's what i do i'm just like that sounds fun i pick a scenario and i just try to think of new things i just try to think it out like a story because that's when the cool ideas come to me yeah like letting it naturally just well, kind of in that grow. case it's kind of is apophenia where you're trying to like but it's like attempted apophenia where you're trying to make connections that aren't there yeah, like, I'm kind of let, trying to let the story tell itself to mm, me. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, but that's it, right? Yeah. And that's it for this episode. The Explanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art and logo by Monet Moran. I want to thank all of our Patreons on Patreon. <laughs> Your support means everything to me, to us, and the show itself. If you, too, want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations, tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode, or leave a review on iTunes. Likely, as always, we probably got a bunch of things wrong. If you want to tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at DexplanationsPodcast at gmail.com, tweet me at Dexplanations, or comment on the Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode, or we'll do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you have an effervescent smile. Bye now.